You're listening to Hospitality Talks, a podcast about all things hospitality through discussions with industry leaders around the globe. Here are your hosts, Abid Butt and Sam Eric Rutman. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Hospitality Talks. 2020 has redefined the event industry forever. Will meetings and events ever be the same? What are the concerns of the meeting planners and how they are preparing to hold their future events? How long might it take to go past the stigma of super spreader events? These are all the questions that are being talked about in our industry every day. Events and meetings have contributed a great deal to the industry, particularly in large hotels. Large hotels rely as much as 60 to 70% of the business from these events and meetings. My name is Abbott Butt. I'm here with my co-host, Sam. Hello, everyone. I'm absolutely delighted that we have now in our uh, show, which is the start of February, talking about such an important matter as the meeting and events. And I know that particularly for the United States, it represents a significant amount of uh, income for the cities and for the hotels and uh, for the associations. But also there are so many question marks since we, are, uh, we have a little bit of a, we, don't, we cannot depend on the history now because the, uh, 2020 wiped the history away of what we were used to, how things we can organize and so on. So I'm really looking forward to this interesting discussion with uh, our, our guest today about how they see, uh, from their point of view, the business. And, uh, and I also like to invite uh, all the live viewers to comment and uh, any questions. We, we, will, we will give them, uh, we'd like to ask maybe some difficult questions from the panel if you are willing to put them on, your, on the screen. So, uh, and, uh, so I'm very much looking forward that we will have a, a great discussion uh, with uh, our very interesting guests. So Sam, we've got a fabulous panel today. If it's okay, let's uh, bring them in. First and foremost, uh, we have Dominique Stump, who's the uh, Chief Executive Officer of National Pest Management Association, a large group with a membership of about 5,000 people. Uh, they put together somewhere around eight to 12 programs annually, uh, meet around the nation with some uh, regional programs. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing what the National Pest Management Association crystal ball tells us. We also have with us today Stephanie Turner, who's the Senior Vice President for Convention Sales and Program uh, Strategies for New Orleans & Company. New Orleans & Company is charged with promoting the world-class destination of New Orleans with all their festivals and all their meetings and all their programs that they host every year. And last but certainly not least, we have Angel Dupassage, who is a partner with Cypress Planning Group. Uh, Cypress Planning Group has been involved in uh, helping both the clients and the hotels come together for their programs. They have a, obviously a broader uh, perspective from both the buyer and the seller perspective. And we look forward to hearing from Angel about how her clients are preparing for 2021. 
Ladies, welcome to Hospitality Talks. So, Sam, if it's okay, let's get right into it, and we will start with uh, Dominique first. Dominique, what has been the decision-making process like over the last year? When did you decide to go, cancel, postpone, pivot? I'm sure there were lots of conversations occurring. What was that process like? So the process really engaged a lot of our stakeholders once we realized that we really needed to think about making changes to our normal decision process and planning. Um, I will say we were reluctant to really uh, make any changes, even though we knew we were going to have to change the way we did business. We didn't think we were going to have to change doing business. Um, so, uh, we were probably the last holdout of one of the groups I know that changed our fall annual to a virtual event last late October. Um, and then moving into 2021, we were even still, you know, just, I guess, way optimistic and perhaps, uh, resistant to where the longevity of this um, pandemic was going to put us. So we, um, but we did come up with a plan and worked with the team and decided that we would work on a 90 day basis to make decisions. Um, as everybody knows, that's not a lot of time to really change it. But once we'd gone through a few of these, we're like 90 days allows us to take the time to be diligent in um, assessing the market where we're meeting and the memberships and, the, and just the stakeholders in general. So that's kind of where we, where we landed and that's how we've been operating. So, Dominique, in the in that uncertainty, what is your membership uh, uh, asking you about? Because these events are obviously um, a, a huge networking events, learning events. How is the membership staying connected? What are their concerns uh, about not being able to meet their other cohorts? Sure. So um, we are, I guess, I guess one would say fortunate and lucky. Uh, we are an association representing an essential service. So our members are out every day working in the field, running their businesses. Certainly there's been some adaptions to the way they do business. So for them, it's hard to understand why we're changing so much, but uh, the virtual component has been helpful. I would say they were tolerant um, and came with grace to the table uh, for the first several meetings that we did virtually. Their patience is about worn out um, and they are very eager to get together in a face-to-face -face environment. Um, we have noticed that our virtual programs are starting to get less fanfare, if you will. Um, we do have a lot of community groups and other ways of creating connections, um, but really, you know, we are a people business. And so folks are really, really craving that opportunity to be in a face-to-face. -face. Dominique, you talked about sort of a 90-day window in deciding uh, as to where the event should be held or if the event should be held. Obviously, that's a much shorter uh, window of time. What was the typical uh, window? How far in advance did you normally book your programs pre-pandemic area? Sure. All of our programs, with the exception of our um, annual convention, are booked within a 12-month, 18-month window in advance. Um, our annual is booked 10 years out. So booking was probably not the bigger um, 
question. It was what, how do you renegotiate and kind of go through that process? Um, so, and as everybody knows, that's, that's definitely, um, a strain, um, and can be challenging, you know, for, for both sides. So that's, that's kind of where we got to, but we said we'd make promises to all stakeholders that in, within 90 days of any program we would have to determine. So sites were already done. It's just a matter of saying how to, when and how do we do it? So it, it, you were one of the organizations, if I recall correctly, our, our conversation that uh, soon after 9-11, you did hold an event. And I believe that event was actually in New Orleans, if my memory mm-hmm. serves me correctly. Uh, are there any similarities? Uh, was it as daunting planning an event uh, back in, in uh, uh, after 9-11 as it is today? Are, are there any differences? The similarities might be the same in that people were very unsure and very anxious about the future and what that, um, the tragedies that had happened. I think, you know, with flying and and all the things that that brought upon us, um, I think that definitely impacted us. I think the big difference with the pandemic is, you know, those same fears are there, the uncertainty, but there's also just this closure. Like, you know, it's, there's just a lot of, Things I think after 9-11, we had choices. Like the choice was ours to, to make um, and whether we conducted business or not, whether our attendees came or, or didn't. Um, and now it feels like a lot of the choices are kind of taken out of our control. And I think as a, uh, and as a leader and as an association um, planners, you know, that's contrary to everything they do. You know, there's one thing we all depend on and it's kind of knowing the predictability of your business and and how it's done on a annual basis or you know weekly basis. <laughs> I, I, I will I will turn it over to Sam in a bit, but just just one other question: with the lead time being so short in a in a typical environment, um, finding uh, um, airline capacity, airline seats, particularly when you're bringing in. 5,000 some odd uh, delegates into a destination or finding hotels and venues could become a challenge. Have you experienced any of those issues with the shorter lead time? How are the hotels able to um, put these programs together for you as you're planning these programs? Well, but I'm I'm sad to say we haven't actually had to or been able to execute a person-to-person meeting yet. Um, so those changes really impacted folks making decisions on whether they were traveling. I will tell you, we actually had people show up in destinations. They went there anyways. And they're like, we wanted to go, we're going. And then they would dial into the virtual event. So I do think it's going to be a huge concern as we move forward um, with future events this year, particularly with travel. Um, and I've noticed myself just kind of how things have changed a lot in that market and getting around, um, you know, first, second tier cities. I think it's all going to change. Um, and I think that's something we're going to have to really think about and help um, our attendee base kind of navigate through. Our people tend to be short term booking, if you will. Um, so I, I don't anticipate it being a huge issue. Um, the bigger group is the international, but I don't imagine that we're going to be getting any international traffic for some time, probably at least. Maybe, I'm thinking two years. 
Yeah, I think even domestic travel is a bit of an issue because we don't know what to expect uh, from one state to another, from one destination to the other, much less uh, travel across the border. So, uh, Dominique, let me turn it over to Sam here, and I'll be back with you in a moment. Sam. Sam, uh, I think you're muted. I always do that. <laughs> I'm telling everybody to unmute, and here I am. Uh, well, Dominic, uh, while I was kind of thinking about our, our show and also the, the things that you must be going through in your mind when you have to plan these, I'm just wondering, uh, forecasting an attendance of an event where you maybe in the past have the history that maybe this, the, for the next event will be uh, plus 2 or 5% or but not. But now when the history has been wiped out from 2020, how do you go about planning or forecasting the, the, the number of attendance to, for your events? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the one thing we had, I've been with our organization for 23 years um, and I come from the planning side. So we have solid history. And that's why I said it was predictable. I mean, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it was. And now, um, though there have been things over time, technology, bookings, I mean, all those things have changed how we look at numbers. But um, we've done a lot of research on other associations like trade organizations, service, and really just tried to learn from others on what that looks like. And frankly, guess. I mean, we just put together budgets based on a number and a percentage that we felt, you know, was probably a fair guess in the game. Uh, and actually it played out pretty accurate. We based our attendance on, um, not so far virtual. So we said 60% and, uh, that's actually came true. The disappointing factors have really been the exhibits community has really not met where we needed them to be. Um, so that's been disappointing. Um, it's certainly understandable, but that piece has been a little bit more difficult and of course more financially impactful. Sure. And uh, I'm interested now because you, the, the very large association that you're you're looking after. How do you keep up with, with the members in order to kind of uh, uh, generate that excitement for the next meeting and how to how to get there involved that uh, and you feel more confident that they will show up for the upcoming meeting? Sure. Well, we are um, also super excited, actually, to be saying we're hosting meetings and we're getting people together. So I think that alone, we're lucky enough to work with people that are like, yes, this is what we need to be doing. So I think that's helpful. But getting the word out, people are still like, oh, are we having a meeting? Communications is critical. So we have different resources, you know, our own newsletter, electronic newsletter. Um, We work a lot with our industry publications. That's something I can't... um, can't stress enough for groups to really think about what other sources are out there. If they're working in the same industry, most likely they want to support your efforts too, because it's to their benefit as well. So we're doing a lot more press releases, communications, stories, uh, using our leadership or members, you know, to highlight, you know, the value of going and how they're excited and looking forward to seeing one another. Um, I just did an interview yesterday with a publication um, in Australia. Uh, I don't I frankly don't anticipate any of my friends coming from Australia to Vegas in October or November, but um, they want to talk about it and they want to say that this is happening. So um, I think really just beating the drum and talking about it a lot because people feel so unsure. They don't trust anything anymore. Like mm. We don't trust anything anymore. You know, you're just, everything's kind of like, well, we're planning on it. <laughs> Before you would just be like, it is. And now it's just, 
it's just a different way of approaching things. And you hate to be so un, uncommitted sounding, but you know, you can only do what's in your power. Sure, sure. What are you aiming at? Are you aiming at the attendance levels of 50% what you were used to in the past, or is it 75% or are you just counting on the pent up demand? Well, um, if you talk to some folks, they would be like, it's going to be, you know, crazy, you know, record-breaking attendance. I will tell you, Vegas is one of our record-breaking attendance locations. We only go once a decade, typically. Um, so folks are definitely excited about it. Um, I, I, again, international, I think, is out. I really don't think people are going to be able to come. Uh, we might get some folks, maybe Mexico, if, if they can get in the country. Canada is not coming in here, so... Um, I think 75% is a very realistic approach. I mean, obviously we're going to be conservative. I mean, this is going to be critical as we put our budgets together, which we have not done yet. So we have, we're luckily on a, um, fiscal year. So the July 1, June 30th, which actually was kind of a saving grace for us last year as well. So we're the first half, we could already plan for what COVID was doing, even though we didn't really understand exactly what that meant. Um, so we kind of had a leg up, I guess, if you will, and and pulling things back and understanding that we needed to make some quick changes to how we normally do business. Yeah. Um, my final question is before I hand over to Abit is about virtual meetings. I mean, I I I, I attended several of them. I at, and I attended some hybrid meetings and so on. Uh, what are the challenges from your point of view of uh, and maybe perhaps for the, your membership's point of view with virtual meetings or virtual exhibit halls and so on? Uh, do you, are, are there, is something is going to stay or is it going to be a, just a, a, a variation of it when things hopefully is, is to a point where people can actually physically attend uh, the events? Sure. Well, I think, that, I mean, we're not the biggest and don't have the largest budget. So, you know, we're probably looking with mid-level products, I would say. Um, I do think they've come a long way. I think the offerings are huge. I mean, I think there's going to be some that are going to make it and a lot of them are going to go away, you know, within the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. Um, I think the, uh, the education perspective has been great. I think be able to offer education at a time where people needed it and wanted something worked well. I think from the exhibit standpoint, I mean, we tried to pick the best thing possible, knowing that that was going to be critical for us. And it was the best exhibits virtual show that we had gone to that we had experienced and our members had experienced. They still didn't like it. So <laughs> um, we didn't like it either. Um, so, I, you know, I don't really see us doing any of really that component. We've actually tried to create other ways of doing things that give our supplier community value um, that don't involve an exhibits kind of virtual trade show. Um, so I guess two things you said long-term, you know, where do we think it's going? I think uh, for us personally, our people want to see one another. They, they're not interested. I do think we're light years ahead of where we were. Like our members will be open to the idea now of jumping online and doing education, which we were struggling getting people to do. So that's great because we've invested a lot of money um, in that prior to COVID. Um, so I think that's a great value and I think could continue to grow, but as it relates to, you know, just kind of gatherings, I don't anticipate us doing it. And we despise the word hybrid. Um, but cause that's just two <laughs> things at once. And we're, <laughs> we've actually just tried to sell it. We thought I told a bit, I said, I think we're going to do our first hybrid, real hybrid event in May. Uh, the planning committee were like, no, <laughs> like we don't want um but luckily we were like oh good because we didn't want to do it either but um so we're not going to do that they actually said let's 
we want to do it when we can get together safely. And that's, and it's a meeting on safety. So, you know, you can see them saying, let's, you know, not rush, rush this topic, but yeah, um, yeah, I thought there, maybe there was one other thing you'd asked and I maybe didn't. No, I think it's all good. I think you are, you covered, covered it all. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Dominic. Very, very, very interesting. And a a lot of value. Thanks so much. Let me hand over now to Abit. Over to you. Thanks. Dominique, the, in the association environment, um, obviously these meetings and events, not only that they're educational for your membership, they are uh, a revenue stream for, for the association uh, itself. Uh, you talked about your fiscal year being a little bit different, so you were able to adapt and, and possibly attend to the decline uh, a bit better than somebody, uh, some of the others might have been. But are there other uh, revenue streams that you've counted in absence of exhibitors uh, coming to a convention, attendees coming to a convention? Are there other ways that association can uh, generate revenues to continue to be able to represent their membership? Sure. I mean, first of all, we lost a million dollars. So we can cut a lot of things and make a lot more money, but there was nothing we were doing that could have made up for that. Um, so getting your leadership on board was super important and making sure we communicated a lot with our board of directors um, was critical. Uh, our promise was that we would pursue other revenue areas, obviously cutting costs. New revenue areas, we'd already started, like I said, on the online learning, so the education piece there really had honed in on that and kind of launched, you know, additional things. Um, All of our virtual programs, you know, created additional content. So it's really utilizing the the stuff we'd had before and offering it in a way that hadn't been offered. Um, Also, we had just done a whole new, I mean, just luckily had launched a whole new dues structure um, in the last 18, 24 months. And that is in full swing now. So our membership retention is solid and we're probably about 15 to 20% up on our dues revenue. So I think it's really honing in on the things that you can control and those things that you can offer um, to members that are valuable to them. And that's part of it too, is we had to really listen to them and say what would be valuable at this time for their businesses. Well, terrific. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Dominique. Please stay with us. Uh, we'll be back with you in a moment. At this particular point, I would like to bring in our, our next guest, uh, Stephanie Turner. Uh, uh, Stephanie, if, uh, if, if it's okay, we'll get straight into it. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the strategic initiatives and, and marketing activities and best practices that New Orleans and Company has uh, implemented since the beginning of this pandemic. Happy to do so. Glad to be here, Abbott. Thank you. Um, I think, you know, Dominique said it best. We've been functioning very much in a very measured way that we adjust literally every 30 or 60 days as as COVID has changed so much over time. And so our initial efforts have all been focused on organizing our community around safety and hosting meetings safely and successfully, attaining GBAC certification for our convention center and airport, in making sure that as we marketed to our convention customers, they understood that we were a good resource. And really our marketing strategy from a customer and a convention standpoint has been very collaborative because all of our customers are seeking information and the information is so different from city to city. 
And so being well organized and um, having a comprehensive team at our DMO and, and really being sure that we could be a true partner with our customers has been a real priority. <clears throat> We're working now as we look forward uh, with hope and optimism to, um, to the pandemic starting to come to an end later this year, all the guidance we see um, you know, tells us Q3 um, and we're a big convention city, obviously, and so we look to those to those calendars as a point of success for us. So we're working on a leisure campaign that'll come out later this year. We're very excited about it, and we're also working on a convention sales campaign that will launch probably somewhere around March. You know, I think one thing we all know, and Dominique alluded to, is that it's just very different. <clears throat> We're not able to go places during COVID when we we were able to make the choice after September 11th. And we just truly believe that people are going to want to go places. And so we want to be ready to welcome, to welcome them back to our community, to welcome back to New Orleans and do all the things that they remember us for, you know, our food, our music, our culture, all those things. Stephanie, from looking back uh, a typical year, um, how many of the programs would you say were repeat versus first time uh, picking this destination. For that matter, how many programs were planned in New Orleans? Because it is a huge uh, destination. It is a huge market for large meetings and conventions. Yeah, we do thousands of programs and it can consume in, you know, one year, you know, close to two million room nights collectively. Uh, the, the interesting thing about New Orleans is it's so compact You've got 26,000 rooms all within about two miles of a walking radius along with the convention center and major facilities. So thousands of events in the millions of room nights. And that goes from very small corporate meetings or retreats to large scale, massive convention conventions with international attendance and then major sporting events. We're a big sporting event town as well as you know a huge festival calendar. And so when you look at all of those things collectively, and then just, you know, leisure visitors. We welcomed in 2019, in all total, from leisure to convention, 18 million visitors to the city of New Orleans. Our, our CEO says we punch above our size. Our, our name is big, but our city is, you know, smaller. And so we broke records in 2019 in visitation. And so we have a road to, to get back on in 2021 as we work towards 2022 and, and hosting visitors again. So uh, talk talk a little bit about uh, the destination itself. Obviously, uh, the the dining, the culture, the festivals, the the nightlife, it, it has been what has defined New Orleans over all this time period. Now, unfortunately, in in the era of pandemic, those things might or might not be operating at the same thing. So talk a little bit about uh, events like Mardi Gras or Jazz Fest and one of these major events. What does that look like in 2021? Well, that's actually a, a fun conversation and I'll point to the resilience of our community. Um, I don't think any of us thought we'd be here after being, you know, living through Katrina and 9-11. So the surprise and undelight that we all experienced with this latest uh, pandemic. But I love the resiliency of our city. Uh, you know, Mardi Gras is, is still happening because Mardi Gras you know, follows um, <clears throat> calendar and it always follows Ash Wednesday. And so Mardi Gras is not going away. It's just different. And so instead of parades going up and down St. Charles Avenue and Canal Street and you see those and big ornate Mardi Gras balls, 
we're having what's called crew of house floats, crew of the words that, that precedes the name of an organization that parades. So Rex would be a crew. So we're literally having the neighborhoods in New Orleans decorating their houses like floats. And it is elaborate and it is incredible and they are beautiful. There are maps everywhere. You can Google it and just look at it and they're quite beautiful. St. Charles Avenue, which is traditional parade route has beautiful homes that are decorated. And so it's been really fun. And then there's another event in City Park called Floats in the Oaks. So there's a lot of creativity coming out of, of not being able to parade in a traditional way. And actually the crew of House Floats started as a, as a joke online. Someone said, well, we're just gonna decorate our house. And they're literally captains within neighborhoods and they're organized themes that go by each neighborhood. So lots to celebrate there. We're also broadcasting out on NOLA.com from the community, um, an event called Mardi Gras for y'all. You know, we don't say you guys, we say y'all. And so that'll be broadcast over the weekend of Mardi Gras with a lot of special guests and our music will be exported. And then I'll quickly cover Jazz Fest and music. Another innovative thing that's popped up are porch concerts. So I would have a band just play on my porch, my front porch, and you know, my friends could be socially distanced and listen um, to make sure that all the safety protocols were followed. And those became very popular. And we're very hopeful. We're hearing that Jazz Fest is uh, working to come back in October of this year, as well as French Quarter Fest and hopefully Voodoo Fest. You know, October is a big uh, festival time for us. So Jazz Fest typically happens in April and May. We'll be learning more about talent and things like that maybe later on, but they have announced the desire to host their event in October, which is very, very uh, encouraging for us and hopeful. Well, that's that's fabulous. It, 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 being able to keep the spirit of these events in the community, I think that makes a huge difference. I'm not sure if you're planning on streaming any of this, uh, but a lot of destinations, and I've participated in a couple of things, these events uh, in, a, in their modified format, uh, they have been streamed. And, Quite Kenley, some of them had thousands of viewers online when these uh, things were being done. So uh, uh, porch uh, bands, uh, I think that's a fabulous way to keep the spirit there, as is, as is the house floats that you talked about. Uh, 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 thank you for sharing that. Let me, let me turn it over to Sam, and I'll be back with you in a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Well, thank you. I mean, I have to say that uh, when I hear the word Mardi Gras in New Orleans, I, I start to smile inside because I think it's about the, the passion and the fun. And I, I, you mentioned these porch concerts, French Quarter festivals. I mean, I, I get already very excited just listening to the creativity and the spirit that you have in New Orleans. That's, that's something that many destinations can learn. I mean, especially here in Finland, we're a little bit sort of, uh, uh, we're not pessimistic, but we're a little bit sort of uh, shy and sometimes it's difficult for us to express ourselves, but I, I think we have something to learn from New Orleans and you describe it so well, what your plans are for this year. My question now is that uh, uh, you have 26,000 rooms, if I'm not mistaken, in New Orleans. How is the, the hotels taking it? Uh, has there been, uh, maybe you're not directly negotiating this, but if there was some contract signed for rates, are the uh, hotels are also willing to renegotiate the rate in order to encourage uh, the largest possible uh, audience to come to the events that are being organized perhaps in the hotels or the conventions? Um, that's a great question. And, and really, um, 
that answer is left to each individual brand and how they approach their contract since we're not a contracting body. I think that as a community, I'll answer it this way, as a community, our focus is welcoming visitors back safely. We have been, we, we forget, we've been very fortunate to be able to have dining available here with the restrictions a lot of our colleagues around the country haven't. And just on a call last week, um, talking to a colleague in Washington, D.C., and they had just gone to dinner for the first time. And so really understanding that everyone's comfort level is so different and you forget that, you know, being in your own community with your own restrictions, um, we've been very fortunate. And so our hospitality community has always been New Orleans first. We really, like you said, we love our destination. We don't have any issues uh, celebrating ourselves. We, we are just very extroverted as a culture here. And, and the, the, um, the wish and the goal is to welcome people back safely when they're ready to come. And so with that in mind, I think, you know, we all look to our convention calendar um, in late spring and, and summer and fall and, and you know, want to have our groups back and have them back as successfully as possible. Regarding sort of the, the nightlife and the entertainment venues in New Orleans, could you share some changes that may have taken place or are taking place because of the pandemic and also to provide the extra safety measures for the people who will be coming there after such a long time? Yes, right now our live music venues like the rest of the country aren't aren't open um, because of the type of events they are, people in close proximity. Um, so uh, there's dining and then there, if you have, let's say like a little quartet in a restaurant, then there are certain rules about things being covered and, and distance and very well thought out. So I think our, our we're trying very hard to, you know, make sure that we've and I think New Orleans has done great. We've led um, in the city of New Orleans um, in keeping positivity rates down. We had a spike like everyone else around the holidays, but it's coming significantly down. And so we're trying to figure out a way to do, um, but do safely. But there's just certain things we still can't do. And that's, you know, our weddings aren't like everyone else, that it's a sit down dinner and you pass the food. Our wedding receptions are, you know, 90% a big party you know, people congregating and dancing. So um, those type of events, you know, right now are not allowed um, most anywhere. So we're focusing on the things we can do. We're very uh, focused on our cultural bears and our musicians because they're such a part of our culture. So figuring out ways to be able to do music um, outside and safely and with limitations and small crowds, and they all have to be permitted. So, um, it's better than nothing. And that's the thing we try to focus on is we can do something and we'd rather do something than nothing. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think uh, with that spirit, I think you will be succeeding excellently. I am really confident about that. And it's really nice to hear coming from you and also from the great city of New Orleans. So thank you very much. I will pass it over now to Abit. Thanks, Sam. And Stephanie, talk a bit about the uh, outdoor venues and outdoor spaces now. Uh, right around the convention center and in the Riverwalk area. How are those spaces helping you carry out some of these activities? And, and uh, how are you maximizing the utilization of those spaces? And then we'll bring in our next guest. Thank you. Yes, great question. Um, these are brand new spaces to us. And so one thing that's been very important during the past year of this pandemic is our destination hasn't stopped improving and so we completed in november at the end of november a one mile pedestrian park 
that runs the entire length of the convention center. And it's filled with all different kinds of features, water features, light features, stage features, big fans. And so um, as we begin to welcome groups back, then those groups can work with the center directly on putting events in, in place outside because there is a big push now for outdoor spaces um, from, from we're hearing from our customers and, and our leadership you know, is encouraging outdoor events because they're, you know, they're better in terms of the spread. Also uh, along the riverfront, we'll have opening in April, the brand new Four Seasons and that entire area, including the ferry terminal and Spanish Plaza is getting a really big facelift and that's a lot of outdoor space. And just by nature of New Orleans and courtyards, there are a lot of built in outdoor spaces that are available a lot of outdoor dining, a lot of outdoor activities. And so we're very happy about those things. We think that, that they'll be well used as our conventions start to return, hopefully in the fall. And we're just happy to have new things in the city that we can all enjoy, not just our visitors, but our locals can enjoy these things as well. Fabulous. Well, thank you again. Thanks for all that information. Uh, please stay with us. We'll be back with you in a moment. At this particular point, I'd like to bring in Angel Dupassage with uh, Cypress Planning. Angel, uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Well, you you obviously have the perspective both from uh, clients' lens, but also from hotels' lens and venues that you use. Uh, uh, tell us a bit about what, what are the conversations? What are your clients looking for? How are hotels preparing to meet those needs? Well, as you can imagine, in 2020, when the pandemic started rolling out, it was more of a reactionary mode. We um, were dealing with the facts at hand and it was um, a lot of last minute changes and um, last minute decisions. I think that um, in the very beginning, hotels were struggling with groups invoking force majeure and um, they weren't really sure because lockdowns weren't given and um, travel restrictions weren't happening. But as it progressed throughout the United States and globally, then hotels realized that this really was a pandemic that was going to impact everyone. And um, they really, we really reached out to our partners. We work with these hotels years and have relationships with them. And I think that they um, understood what organizations were dealing with and their obstacles, and they wanted it to be safe. And so as leaderships realized that the pandemic wasn't going away, that um, they worked with groups. Um, we understood the, the magnitude of the the revenue that hotels were losing. Um, at that point, they were hemorrhaging money and they needed to make sure that these groups were coming back. And so we really worked with our clients to try to rebook that meeting back at that destination, back at that hotel, so that they could let their stakeholders and their leadership know that um, though the immediate dates were not going to happen, that their future, they had a future with their conferences and meetings and, and conventions. So um, it was very difficult because I think in the very beginning, everyone was looking at their contracts and um, looking at an out. And I think hotels and groups 
have progressed to a really a relationship and a collaboration because in the end of the day, hotels need groups and organizations to host meetings and groups and organizations really need hotels to host their meetings. Uh, very true. Uh, uh, though, uh, uh, the, the, in the midst of uh, a catastrophe or emergency, uh, you know, everybody uh, leans more towards the document and uh, they start to be waived, just making sure that everybody can, can sort of protect their interest. But uh, being able to make a win-win situation is obviously the best way to go. It, now, you obviously have been advising the clients um, on, on uh, booking the meetings. Talk about some of those conversations. Uh, what, are, what are clients looking at in timeline point of view? Are they ready to confirm meetings, particularly the corporate clients? Now, you have a wide variety of clients between associations and corporates, but talk a little bit about the corporate segment. What does that look like? Well, you know, we always advise our clients to, to sit down with their stakeholders and, and pick a, a go or no go date. That really is going to be a date where with the facts at hand, can they safely and effectively host their conference? Um, the purpose of many corporations coming together and hosting meetings um, would really be a user's conference, um, it can be an incentive trip, it could be a sales conference. So what is the purpose of the meeting and can they do it effectively in person and, and safely? Um, as a corporation, they have um, a lot at stake and they have liability issues as, long, as well as associations. But they really need to make a decision based that's in the best interest of their potential customers and or their their staff. Um, so similar to Dominique, it was um, a kind of a 90 day has been what our clients, our corporate clients are choosing. Um, maybe a little further out, uh, they have they tend to have bigger pockets. So they're able to say, you know what? we're out, we will pay, we will work with the, the hotel, let's try to mitigate some of these damages and exposure, let's see what we can do for um, maybe a future conference, but um, they were a little bit um, uh, more willing to, to pay some of the penalties to get out because they knew um, it just wasn't gonna work out with, um, with their, their conferences. So, uh, 2021, any any um, strategic conversations from corporate clients' point of view? Because obviously, sales events are held to um, boost the, the the sales team morale and eventually get more sales. A lot of the companies are in dire need of of that to occur. Except in pandemic, that becomes uh, a little bit harder to put together. Uh, how do you think these organizations will be able to bring these teams together, whether it's incentive or uh, product launch, those kinds of events that are typically large events, lots of moving parts to put those together? Is the short lead time still a workable option? You know, I think that um, I view 2021 as a recovery year. 
and um, corporations are looking at this um, at a case-by-case -case basis. So be it an incentive trip, is that really a mandatory event? Um, and I think they're trying to be creative and they're doing um, more of a virtual aspect of an incentive. They are, um, you know, shipping food and having celebrity chefs come in and help them prepare a fun uh, dinner for their family. They're um, giving them uh, gift cards to be able to utilize in something very specific based on their needs. If they're into cooking, if they're into um, cycling, if they're into um, a specific gardening and a specific hobby, if they're into wine, they can use and purchase that and they, using that as an incentive. Um, I think um, I've even seen that they've even taken the, the destination and created a kind of a virtual tourism so that um, we may not be there, but we want to bring a little piece of that uh, destination to your home. And so, um, and or even utilizing talent. Um, there's so many musicians out there, so many Broadway actors out of business, so many comedians that are not on the road. And so utilizing that talent and bringing it to their um, their staff to boost morale and um, and really just say thanks for the hard work. I think that many corporations, depending on it's almost a feast or famine thing. You know, you've got many corporations that are struggling tremendously, and so many of those things. I always say, travel is the first to be cut and the last to be brought back. So you know, I think that um, they're having to look at their budgets and and see what makes sense to them. Um, but there are other corporations that are going and blowing and doing very, very well. And so they really want to, um, to boost morale and, and to thank those people who have been probably working tremendous amount of hours to keep everything going and to keep the supply chain going. Um, when it comes to um, customers, I think that they're trying to find unique ways to connect with their customers because in-person is more difficult now. Um, I think that they are looking at ways um, to moving their conference. We've been doing a tremendous amount of work moving our first quarter and some of our second quarter 2021 conferences into third and fourth quarter. So it's been a little bit difficult because everyone's trying to do that. Anyone who can move their conference later in the year, they're doing it. Um, I think we all kind of feel a little bit more confident that the vaccinations will increase and the cases will go down, which I think will be in tandem with each other to allow people to travel in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, one last question before I, I turn it over to Sam. Uh, it, these these shorter booking windows, uh, are they creating compression? Is airlift enough to get the people, uh, or will it be enough to get the people to the destination and, and are the hotels able to uh, extend um, uh, rates that are workable and, and is there space available at the hotels to be able to accommodate all the, all these programs? Mind you, that, that would be a fabulous problem to have and everybody would welcome that. But looking further ahead, uh, is, it, is it a workable solution and what challenges will that present? You know, good questions. Um, I think Lyft is going to be a challenge. I think that um, the airline industry has struggled tremendously, as we all know, along with the hospitality industry, restaurants, and, and, and everything that in between. I think that um, 
Lyft is going to be a little slower. I mean, I think that um, they need the demand to add to lifts and um, they need lifts to create more, you know, to create more flights and so and more people. And so I think that um, group hotels have been very, very good partners. The, we work really hard in creating relationships with our, our, hospi- our hotel industry and um, we know that that workforce has been um, depleted. Uh, we have worked with many, many colleagues for years and known them for decades, and they've been furloughed and laid off. And so I spoke to a hotel salesperson in Austin uh, two weeks ago, and he um, had a staff of 25 people, and um, now it's five of them. And so it's also being patient because they're working a tremendous amount of territory. You know, he had the Northeast and he said now he's doing the entire United States. And so um, being patient and understanding that um, they've, um, they're doing a lot more with less, like all of us are, um, and helping our meeting planners. They're juggling with a lot of um, more responsibility and um, their stakeholders are asking them to look at the crystal ball and tell them what they expect to happen. And um, they have a lot of responsibility um, at stake. And I think that um, hotels want groups to come back. And um, we've been working with hotels to also look at what's realistic, what's realistic in rate, what's realistic with attrition, what's realistic with um, food and beverage minimums. Um, all of that really is has to be looked at and renegotiated. And I think hotels understand that. Um, this is a relationship industry, and we're utilizing those to make sure that it makes sense and um, that in the end of the day, hotels want to host a, a successful conference as, as well as organizations do. So really collaborating and making it work. And um, many times it just takes some flexibility and um, some concessions on both ends. And I'm sure this this uh, pandemic has challenged all of us and it continues to challenge all of us trying to figure it out, different ways to come together and different ways to work together. But thank you for sharing that. Over to you, Sam. Sam, you're uh, uh, muted again. You know, this the, uh, we joked around about it, that that's the single most used line these days. You're muted again. I'm just trying to liven up the atmosphere here. <laughs> we are getting so serious, you know. <laughs> no, uh, actually, I have a question. Uh, I was thinking about uh, how to entice the, the uh, people to come. Uh, are some examples, some either some low-cost incentives or ways to get people to move and, and uh, entice them to, to make that decision to come to an event? Uh, how, what do you see from the, your experience now for 2021 or maybe even to 22? You know, um, Dominique um, talked about this. Communicate, communicate, communicate. I think that is really what people need. They need to know that, um, you know, that things are going to be safe. I think um, setting up code of conduct, duty of care, um, making sure that people understand what to expect when they go on site. If they've got a confidence level that things are going to be um, set up 
um, with certain specific safety protocols and processes, then they feel comfortable to travel. They feel comfortable comfortable to attend that conference. I think um, we're social creatures. We miss each other. Um, we miss the personal interaction. I know exhibitors miss doing business with their clients and their customers. Um, the meetings industry has created an incredible um, opportunity and vessel to allow organizations to meet and connect with their clients and um, we need to bring it back. Um, exhibitors miss it, attendees miss it. Um, and as I mentioned, we're social creatures and we wanna connect. And um, as much as virtual meetings has been a, a, a good solution to a very difficult problem, I think it, we miss the, the, the social interaction and organic um, connections that happen um, when you have an in-person meeting. So yeah. I think the desire is going to be there. Yeah. All you need to do is say, here, come on, fam. Are people, uh, do you think people are willing to shake hands again or are they going to feel sort of, uh, that they will do some funny ways of greeting <laughs> or is it going to be back to how we used to have a good handshake? You know, um, I think that, um, I think with vaccinations, I'm confident that with vaccinations, I mean, look, I'm from the South. I don't even handshake. I hug. <laughs> so it's going to be one of those um, things where I think understanding um, people's comfort level and knowing where they come from is going to be important. Um, and um, for a Southerner like me, it's really difficult not to grab people and give them a big gold bear hug. But um, we've got to uh, take baby steps. Yeah, sure. You mentioned about the virtual meetings. Are you? Uh, do, you do you feel that's really something which is uh, here to stay, or do you feel that it's just something that is now maybe perhaps a, a thing that has more going on because of the pandemic? I know you you talk so much about. People like to meet, and there's uh, that very much of a need. But is there a place for, uh, lack of better words, this hybrid meeting still? You know, I think that um, virtual meetings aren't going away. I think that they serve a good purpose. And I think that if you, organizations that were able to get um, information um, across um, and, um, and share information and they were able to accomplish that, I think they will continue. I think if your your event was more about networking and social interaction and, um, and connecting one-on-one -on -one with people, I think in-person meetings um, will um, be important to your organization. What I, I view or what I see virtual meetings is really a complement to in-person meetings. I view, um, virtual webinars, being able to extend kind of a post interaction. I think that they would benefit organizations to um, create that um, continued message along with their in-person conference. Um, I think webinars are really going to, Dominique mentioned this, you know, that her members were really not as, um, you know, embracing the webinars and the virtual conferences. I think now they realize the use of it and they're going to utilize that based upon their individual organization. Um, hybrid, organiza hybrid events, based upon your budget, based upon your expectations of your conference, it can be a very 
a very um, important tool. Um, I think that um, meeting planners need to understand you might be hosting one event, but it's going to be two ex experiences. Um, I view it almost as like a, a sporting event. You can be going to a sporting event, soccer game or a football game, and you're in the stadium. That is a totally different experience than watching it on te television. Same exact game is going on, but a totally different experience. And that takes a lot of bandwidth, takes a large budget, and it takes another team, so to say. And so um, it's, it's a vital option. Um, and I think with organizations that have the bandwidth and the budget, it it's, could be um, a game changer for them. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Angela. Now over to, back to you a bit. Angel, the, uh, from recovery point of view, what kind of uh, segments do you see recovering faster than the other? What kind of markets and destinations do you think would show better recovery trends? Uh, and, and then possibly we'll bring everybody back together in a bit. Um, I see your state associations, your smaller regional associations, um, smaller meetings um, coming back quicker um, because they can drive to the destination, they can um, uh, meet a little bit more easy because um, they're just, you know, logistically it's a smaller group. Um, and I think that destinations, um, I see resorts actually probably benefiting from this because they have a lot of outdoor space. And I think meeting planners are going to embrace that. And um, I see a lot of hotels getting very creative in their outdoor space. I'm sure some tent companies are probably going to benefit from it because I am sure people are going to be uh, tenting a lot and trying to sell that space. And um, look, a hotel salesperson can sell anything at that point. So um, that'll be a great opportunity. Um, and I, I just, I think that we're going to be kind of um, starting small and in more state and regional areas, and then we'll go national and international from there. You know, it's funny you bring up these marquees and tents. They were the dreaded venues uh, uh, as overflows. <laughs> And every time that came up, everybody would run out of the room. But all of a sudden, they are the most sought-after venues at this particular point. So things change. Uh, it, 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 it will be interesting. Um, a lot of these big box convention hotels, they have millions of square foot of space uh, that is a flexible space built to accommodate different types of programs. All of a sudden, with this pandemic, at least for this transition year of 2021, you know, we were all programmed to maximize the space utilization. How are hotels working through that equation where with, with physical distancing and, and all these other things that are into uh, putting a, uh, an event together? How are hotels getting acclimated to it and, and uh, working through that? I think in the short term, I mean, now hotels are even um, sending out their social distancing um, uh, floor plans. And so um, it's really doing the math for meeting planners, um, allowing them to figure out if their um, their 
banquet or their general session can fit in the space. Um, I think, um, again, along with the vaccinations and cases going down, I think phases and, um, and travel restrictions and um, social distancing will um, slowly dissipate and um, be able to work a little bit. So short term, it's definitely something they're going to have to look at. And then that impacts rooms to space ratio with hotels. And so we're going to have to definitely um, make sure that things fit. Um, I think that hotels have been very creative and um, very supportive of, of meeting planners looking at their F&B menus and trying to figure out a safe way um, re-looking at the buffets, re-looking at lunches. Um, and they've done some incredible job with bento boxes and um, and how they serve um, food and beverages and rethinking what the cocktail reception looks like. And so I think that um, it's going to be, the one thing I think is that um, hospitality industry folks, meeting planners, hotels, we're very creative individuals and we are uh, smart and agile and flexible and think on our feet. This is going to be something that allows us an opportunity to recreate what we have done for decades. And, um, and I'm, I'm confident that we'll be successful in the process. Terrific. Sam, if it's okay, let's bring everybody back together. But uh, I will continue with you, Anshel, if you don't mind. Any any advice for hotels as they start to evaluate these programs? Any advice for clients as they are starting to look at their programs? I um, We really advised our, our clients, especially when you're looking at um, the future, um, I think there's so much angst about moving forward and the what ifs that everyone is waiting for the green light. Everyone's waiting for everything to be all settled, the beds made, you know, we've got everything done. And I think that you'll be missing the mark. I think at this point, hotels are hungry. Destinations are hungry. And you need to use that to your advantage. And if you've got a conference out there, um, I kind of use it almost as like the stock market. If you wait too long and it's sky high, you've missed it. And so um, there's that, 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 that balance to, to work with hotels. And, and look, they understand the, um, the resistance. And, and that's where then you need to work with your hotel partners. And we really sit down with our clients and say, what is really important to you? What are some of the things that um, you want some protection on? You know, our job is to protect the assets of our clients and we're making sure that terms are addressed in the contract that, that they feel comfortable moving forward and hotels want that too and so they want to make sure that organizations feel comfortable moving forward and they're going to do what it takes to get the business so um i feel that that um i really encourage a our, our, our clients don't wait until it's all taken care of because the unfortunate thing is everything in 20 kind of moved to 21 and 22 and everything in 21 has moved to 22 and 23. So the pressure's already there, you know, there's limited inventory already. And so you just also need to take an account and be flexible. You know, if you've got one week in January and you can only look at San Francisco, it's limited. So you need to make sure that you understand and, be, and may become a little bit more flexible than you have in the past. 
Dominique, if I may ask you, this is a great segue, uh, contractual clauses, the dreaded force majeure or attrition clause. How has that changed? How are you looking at it from a client's lens uh, differently? Well, we've, I've prided myself in our organization's way of doing business and being a true partner in it. Um, so we've really tried to work with our um, partners in this business, you know, trauma that's happened for everyone. So moving forward, I mean, due diligence, I mean, called the attorney, talked to them and said, what, what's everybody doing? What would they recommend? So I think we've like, kind of adapted like maybe two sentences you know, that's there. Obviously we're asking a little bit of different questions, you know, whether it's with our insurance company and other things that we just wouldn't have really thought was necessary in the past. So just trying to make sure we at least cover our bases. I don't know that a whole lot of, like I said, a lot of our stuff's contracted out for years. So um, really not much opportunity to go backwards typically. Uh, but I think we've proven to be good partners and it's played well for us to date. And, you know, I anticipate really just as long as you're in it, you know, for the right reasons and trying to do what's best for everyone. I don't, I don't anticipate it being huge, but I think everybody should do their due diligence and definitely at least get some professional guidance in that space. Fair enough. Uh, Stephanie, relative to destinations, and Angel talked a bit about that, your, your counterparts in other destinations, uh, are you seeing one particular area uh, be more attractive than the other uh, from a client's perspective? Uh, are they looking for different things today than they might have looked at pre-pandemic area? Great question. And, and the answer, I think, is yes. I mean, the, the outdoor functionality is really big. Understanding how rooms can be set um, in a socially distanced way is a big piece understanding the virtual component and how they may do that um, and simultaneously run an in-person event and a hybrid event, which is you know, much more expensive and much more complex and prone to errors and technology challenges. But, um, and just a lot of carefulness, and Angel talked about this a lot, real carefulness in what their attendance is gonna be like because they really don't know yet. As we're talking to customers, they're not getting clear and concrete answers from all of their attendees in many different segments, just depending upon if they have corporate sponsorship, do those individuals have still travel restrictions in place? There's a lot of unanswered questions. And I think both Angel and Dominique handled it perfectly. It's the communication and knowing that really being uncomfortable in a gray space, the one thing about this environment is it's all been very gray and unclear. And so we just have to be honest to where we are now what the variables are now, because they're going to change in 30 days. So that communication and that honest communication is really going to be the thing that helps us to get these meetings back and taking place. And once we get some going on in different destinations, it'll build confidence for other organizations and other attendees to go. It's like the first time we got, you know, on a plane, it was uncomfortable. Now we feel more comfortable. It just, we have to go through the experiences to get to the level of comfortness that will bring meetings back in a larger scale way. The good thing is I think uh, human beings have uh, very short memories and we're very resilient in, in, as we all have talked about, we're social creatures. So all that hopefully would help bring this together. Michelle, you talked about the norms, you said being a Southern and you give people big hugs, forget about the 
handshake. I, I was reading an article that that uh, uh, the the organization had requested color-coded uh, bands, sort of like we used to do with lanyards color-coded, and the bands would dictate whether I felt comfortable enough of being approached or did I want to be left alone. It, do you think that these sorts of things, which are very counterintuitive to how human beings naturally behave, do you think that will become a commonplace or uh, hopefully by the middle of the year we will be talking about much more fun and better things? Yeah, no doubt. We actually have a client that's doing that for their May conference. So they're using a little sticker that you can use and um, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm happy to be here, but please give your distance or I'm, I'm comfortable, but we'll do an elbow works for me. Um, I feel a little bit more comfortable. So handshake works for me and or, hey, I've been vaccinated. So um, so those have been kind of the 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 stickers that a conference is using in the short term. Um, I've had mixed reviews with that. Some some um, in some camps say, you know, be consistent with your organization. This is how everyone's going to be treated. This is how we're going to be as a standard for our, our organization. And everyone is going to support this. Um, and then some people feel like they want to make it a little bit more of an individual um, um, expression. And, and I'll continue with the next question with you, Asha. We all talked about communication, 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 whether it is to your membership or uh, from a destination out to their potential clients. Are there any best practices that has resonated with you that you might have seen that has worked extremely well? You know, uh, when I, um, I find that organizations that have either a code of conduct or a duty of care and putting that together, um, we've helped um, organizations put something together for their attendees. Um, it's a message to say we're in this together and it's, it's a shared responsibility. Um, the organization and the corporation will put certain safety protocols and the hotel and the destination will put certain safety protocols and processes. But we expect you to embrace those and, and, and to be consistent. And, um, and I think that communication is, is critical. I think um, sharing um, information about the destination, as, you know, Stephanie and her team have done an incredible um, amount of work putting together some information to share what is going on with restaurants and bars and activities, what's happening, what does the airport look like and what are those? And so sharing that information from a destination and, and, and connecting with your um, CVB or, or, um, and your destination is important. And then connecting with your brand and your hotel. They've done incredible amount of work and getting some GVAC certified and, and as well as um, putting safety protocols in place and, and limit, eliminating, um, you know, touchless front desk registration and um, keyless entry. I think those things are going to stay, and I think they need to communicate them. Because, again, in the way that they feel like, okay, we've got a plan, I feel safe about this plan, and I feel comfortable with it. And I think that that has been kind of a good best practices that I've seen organizations do. Terrific. And I'll, I'll turn it over to Sam in a second, but Dominique, a, a quick question for you. You had alluded to that things are have changed and they will be different as we come out on the other side of it. 
what sorts of changes are you preparing for? Um, is, is it going to be possibly less attendees? Do you think exhibitors would have different needs? What kind of changes are you anticipating and preparing for? I think a lot of it's going to have to do with just the sets and, you know, in the rooms and the space with the social distancing and kind of just the practice of the meeting operation. And I think more so like from, from the leadership level is communicating that information out to your attendees. Our folks aren't ones that maybe see, you know, there's a thing Angel said, it's different everywhere you go and understanding who your people are and, and where they're coming from. Everyone has just such different perspectives of what's safe. So we're gonna be conservative and we're gonna do things in a way that we think meet the most conservative um, space so people do feel comfortable. So I think that's the big thing. I think less attendance for sure. I think we'd all love to see it be more, but I think people are gonna be uneasy. And it's even the people that I'm like, yeah, so Dennis is gonna say, of course I'll be there. I would never miss it. And then Dennis is going to look at his cute grandbaby and say, I, I don't know that I'm ready yet, you know, or, or just things in life that make people question different decisions in the process. I think it's going to take time to get through that. I think the exhibits community for sure, perhaps a little bit less um, though. I think it'll be much better than our virtual experience. So I don't, we were actually growing tremendously in that space. So instead of 10 to 15% growth each year, I'm guessing, you know, we'll probably go back, couple of years so we'll probably be down maybe 10 percent from the past so we've lost two years growth uh which funny enough the last contract we did was actually expanding our exhibit hall for vegas this year so which is kind of ironic we did that in the beginning of the pandemic i mean like i said we were way optimistic and and resistant to seeing what was coming down the, the pipe um and i think the other piece was the international and not just for international attendees but a lot of our i mean i'm guessing most industries have a lot of um international companies big companies that you know have corporate policies and things that are just kind of a world swath of this is how we're doing business and i think uh that can impact us um in ways that the u.s you know kind of divisions maybe not even in agreement with but they don't have a lot of say when those things come down so i think that will definitely be something us to navigate is more the U.S. branch. We already know the international people coming from, you know, beyond the borders is going to be challenging, but getting our U.S.-based companies to be able to kind of make the pitch that we need to be there, I think that will probably be a big focus for us and something to really think about when we're talking about those business partners. Terrific. Uh, thank you for that. Sam, over to you. Well, my, my question is that um, what are the possible services and, uh, and amenities that might not be required uh, and what has been learned now, particularly because of the pandemic? Maybe, Angel, could you address that? What are some service, uh, services and amenities that might not be required now from now on and in the future? You know, it'll be interesting. Um, I do think that, um, as I kind of mentioned before, um, reducing touch points um, with, um, with guests, um, maybe the trend. Um, I think that, um, having more QR codes when it comes to name badges, um, more of, um, allowing, if you have a, a smaller group, you could even mail your, your name badges beforehand so that it eliminates any registration 
Um, a lot of people gathering in the registration area to pick up their name badges and their packets and things like that, um, either staggering them so that you're kind of spreading out the registration um, um, section of it. Um, I think that um, allowing people to, um, you know, you can, there are also some great uh, tools when it comes to um, reducing um, the amount of people in a room and utilizing the name badges because of the QR code and kind of counting those people. So at one point, you know how many people are in the exhibit hall and if you need to kind of slow the traffic down or not. Um, I think that um, creating certain traffic plans um, in exhibit halls, you know, one way, we've all kind of used it as a grocery store. So utilizing that, um, maybe making appointments um, with exhibit halls um, to, to eliminate some traffic. And then when it comes to hotels is really, again, the keyless entry. And um, it'll be interesting about housekeeping. I know that housekeeping has stopped and, um, and look, back in the day, I mean, 10 years ago, they used to, it was a green initiative where you could turn down housekeeping um, for uh, reward, hotel reward points. So I think that that may, um, instead of saying, hey, we want to reward you, we'll just say, hey, we're going to, so suck it up. <laughs> You're not going to get it. But it'll be interesting because I know that people are kind of trying to limit that, that exposure with each other. Yeah, very, very good. Um Abid, I, I was wondering, should we move forward to the feel-good story, or do you have any of the technical questions you want to raise still? Well, look, if you if you ask me if I have any other questions, I have a thousand, but I think we <laughs> I know, I know. approach the end of our time. So, yes, please. Yeah. Well, I, I have two questions, in fact. I'd like to start with Dominic, and my question is, uh, what do you consider your biggest accomplishment in 2000, looking back in 2020? I would say... I don't know if that's a feel-good story, but I, I just want to get your personal perspective. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I was going to say just navigating through something that just really nobody could have ever anticipated and there's no playbook for and really doing it in a way that, you know, creates confidence and stability within the organization um, and for our members is critical. And I think a lot of it was communication and tenacity and bringing our team together to do things outside of their normal day-to-day -day stuff, you know? Um, so I, I would say that's the biggest, biggest thing. And the, and the other part is, is for all those folks that kept talking about trade shows are going to go away. We're all going to be virtual. Not anymore. <laughs> I don't think it's happening. I mean, I'm sure maybe someplace somewhere, but that I don't, I don't, I never heard it. And uh, I certainly don't fear it now. We have people climbing the walls. They're ready. So, excellent. And how about you, uh, Stephanie? What do you consider the biggest accomplishment for uh, for 2020? I mean, you mentioned so many things that uh, your community is doing, but uh, anything you'd like to add, and from your personal perspective? I think that we successfully changed from being a sales organization, which you know, which we're built to do, and DMOs and hotel companies, to really being consultative with our customers. And to, to learn all this new technology in a short amount of time to adapt to a work from home with a complete sales and services team and be successful and really achieve things that were outside of our normal um, way of measuring success, but they were still very meaningful. And then, and then I'm very proud of what we've done as a destination to, um, to communicate with our customers and to provide all the resources that they need to be able to come to our destination we were able, even able to pass legislation 
where we gave language to protect event planners and organizers from lawsuits relating from COVID-19. So a lot of forward thinking in our community when we didn't know where we were going. And I'll tell you, honestly, there are many times where I said, what am I doing? I just feel like I'm going in this, this circular motion. But the engagement has been so important because the engagement brings you to the next possible solution and the next milestone. So just not being paralyzed by all the uncertainty, I think, is the biggest success we could all have because we have to keep on going forward in some direction. Excellent, excellent. And uh, Angel, what, what are your thoughts on this? What has been your biggest accomplishment looking back to 2020? Um, I would say, um, well, owning your own business, you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So um, having, and we kind of joked that, um, you know, we've seen it all, recessions, 9-11, hurricanes, you know, closed hotels, you know, we can do it. And then, you know, jokes on us, pandemic happens. So um, you definitely, um, you never stop learning. And I would say that our biggest accomplishment is that, you know, we, we stayed by the side of our clients and, um, and worked through each and every rebook, cancellation, reschedule, pivot to virtual, help them look at the process. Um, it was an, a daunting task for so many of our clients. And that's why we're with them is to support them and to give them the advice and, and the support that they need. And um, we moved over 150 meetings and um, it was that commitment. And we were still, again, also able to keep our employees on which um, they're part of our family. And so we wanted to do everything and anything to keep them on. And um, that was extremely important to us. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and my final question, uh, let's start with Dominic. What have you learned about yourself during this period you know, of pandemic? Sure. Um, well, it confirmed I am a people person, which I already knew that, but this really definitely pushed me in that space. Uh, I think... I learned to kind of accept things out of my control and, and provide, you know, a really opt optimistic, which I tend to be anyways, but like, but realistic. And I think really just providing some really strong motivation. And I, that was my new role instead of, you know, running around and meeting with members and, you know, going to global events and kind of creating a, a presence for our industry and association became to be a cheerleader for my people and to really motivate everyone to continue wanting to succeed and wanting to get up and work in a completely new environment. I mean, it's kind of to Stephanie's point. So for me, it was accepting that I could change too and that I I would could and would need to adapt to a different role. Um, and uh, I think what's going to be interesting and challenging for all of us is kind of when we start getting into that new, I was, I hate the word normal, but like when we get to a place and we're like, there's some really great things that came out of, you know, a lot that happened that I don't think it's all negative. And it's how do you keep some of those positive things and marry them into where you want to go. Um, but I'm excited about the future and, and really focused on moving forward. Oh, that's way to be. And how about you, Stephanie? What have you learned about yourself if you're looking back? I think Dominique summed it all up. I mean, all those things, absolutely. Um, and just, you know, that there's a lot more optimism and resiliency within us than, than we realize. I can remember the emotions at the start of the pandemic, getting the first call um, last, the end of last February about concern that groups had and 
having that sinking feeling that, oh no, this, this maybe doesn't go so well. And then, you know, we thought, oh, it's going to last, we're going to go home for two weeks and then we're going to move all this business to the end of 2020 and it's all going to be wonderful. And, you know, being able to accept the bad news, but keep on going. And I think the relationships within our own organization, my colleagues and peers and our staff and our community has just been so essential in lifting each other up and keeping each other positive. Uh, you know, those are my additions to what Dominique said. Thank you. Anything, uh, Angel, did you like to add to all this? What has been you know, your... I think we, we've learned that um, we're very resilient people and um, we will um, we'll get through this um, a lot smarter. And, um, you know, we might be battled and bruised and have a couple of broken bones in the end, but we survived. And uh, not to say I like Gloria Gaynor, but we will survive. And um, we're a strong industry and um, we matter. And it's um, significant in uh, in its um, in its the way that it has um, supported millions of people jobs and um, has impacted economies. And um, I believe that our employees and our staff and my business partners were very resilient people. Very good. I just looked at a couple of comments. We had some very nice comments. We get a lot of positive feedback for your, your input uh, today. Uh, Geraldine uh, Bordelon, great topic. As all cities, large and small, go through this, always good to have that continued support and reassurance that we are in this together. We are hospitality strong, says Geraldine Bordelon. And then uh, Kathleen O'Regan says something very nice about you, Angel. Uh, so I'll, I'll put it on the screen with your permission here. Uh, so, so. So those are the, the positive uh, comments that we have received, and uh, I'm sure many more coming up, uh, maybe in the in the replay. Over to you, Abit. We'll have to go back the checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, this was a fabulous conversation, very timely, ladies and gentlemen. My personal thanks to Angel Dubasage with Cypress Planning Group, Stephanie Turner from New Orleans and Company and Dominique Stump that looks after the National Pest Management Association. A great conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with us. Uh, over to you, Sam. Thanks for joining us this week on the Hospitality Talks podcast. If you found value in this show, we appreciate a rating. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that will help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.